You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey folks, have you ever woken up on somebody's couch in a cold sweat, suddenly realizing the only thing that you're really good at is safely ascending some otherwise useless piece of rock in the middle of nowhere? And also realizing that at any moment, the owner of that couch is probably going to finally kick your ass back out on the street? Well, don't despair, my young freeloader. All Access Services is here to help. All Access Services offers classes, certifications, and equipment designed for you to take those climbing skills and that unhealthy lack of fear of heights and turn them into cold, hard cash. Rigging and high access work just might be your ticket off that couch and into your own sprinter van. Get a hold of All Access Services at allaccessindustrialtraining.com. That's allaccessindustrialtraining.com. And make sure you tell them that the EnormoCast sent you. And maybe someday you'll own your very own couch. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big house. place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. I'll say, you really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. I was afraid to end on your hope, and I'm cutting it out. Good weather, bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Hey, listen up. Today's show is also brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, Maxim Ropes, and the law firm of Atkins and Markoff. For inquiries about help with the long arm of the law, email climbinglawyer at gmail.com. All right, let's crank it back up. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the EnormaCast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is about 1220 Mountain Standard Time. On Thanksgiving Day, November 28th, today is Thanksgiving. So the two-year anniversary of the EnormaCast is right around the corner. Technically, I started this thing in December two years ago, and episode 48 will be the two-year anniversary. So that's coming up. And in the meantime, since it's Thanksgiving Day, I want to give a big shout-out of thanks to several different groups of people. First of all, thanks, you guys, for listening over the last couple of years, for helping this thing grow for telling your friends, for tuning in, for supporting the show. Many of you have donated, and I can't thank you enough for that. Other people have sent in emails, just encouraging emails that have helped this thing keep going. And most of you, I think, have been out there spraying it up to your friends. So all that stuff helps the show out, and I can't thank you enough. When I started this project, I had no idea where it was going, and it has exceeded my expectations. Our little community has grown to the thousands and even so, it still feels like a pretty tight community, and I'm glad you guys are out there listening and have found some value in this show. Also, I want to thank my sponsors, Dan Markoff, The Climbing Lawyer, Black Diamond Equipment, Maxim Ropes, Defiant Bean, and there's some other organizations that are going to come on board just as soon as we can sort out how they fit into the show. I've gotten a lot of requests, actually, to help the show out, and the cool thing about it is that everybody from Dan to Black Diamond and all the way through 
sponsor the show mostly because they like it and they support it because they think it's something that fits into the climbing community in a special way. You know, somebody like Black Diamond may never actually be able to tell what it does for their bottom line. And I know that sponsorship and advertising can be seen as some sort of cynical give and take, but really all these companies are on board because they believe in the show. And I've tried to make sure that advertising and commercials and things fit into that mold because I certainly don't want to have a company come on board or somebody that I'm not super comfortable with. Anyway, that's all I'm saying about the sponsors. Thanks a lot, you guys. I totally appreciate it. And anybody out there who likes the show and is always looking for some way to support it, that's one way to do that is support our sponsors. Okay. I've had several cups of coffee, cups of Defiant Bean this morning, which maybe you can tell my uh, cadence is a little stronger, a little more rapido, perhaps, when the intro gets done mid-morning instead of in the middle of the night. Today's show is the return of the infamous James Lucas from episode 21. The pie master himself has returned. He returned to Carbondale this summer, was climbing in rifle, and also came back for revenge in the Carbondale Mountain Fair Pie Baking Contest. We also discuss new developments in Yosemite and the kerfuffle over him erasing the lightning bolt off of Midnight Lightning, which if you don't know what that's all about, that's because you're smarter than most of us and just simply we're able to ignore it completely. Anyway, we'll hear about that and a bunch of other stuff. So kick back and enjoy the return of James Lucas to the Enorma Cast. been nice here and then today so it was a little hotter i think it's supposed to get hotter again actually oh really yeah oh. the weekend is supposed to be a little warmer hmm shitty how long are you staying i don't know you still don't know uh i'm waiting for a check to show up and then i can leave <laughs> <laughs> where do you get your mail what's that where do you get your mail in chinese camp Chinese camp. Yeah, it's like uh, by jailhouse. Oh, so is someone depositing them for you or something? Well, or is it's it actually a online? check, and oh, so okay. I have to. I live next door to my buddy Coiler, mm-hmm. and uh, I called and I had one of Coiler's like thirteen-year-old daughters go check my mail, and then she's supposed to send this check out to me. Right. She was supposed to send it Monday, but she's like in whatever sixth grade and can't doesn't have her shit together and so i've been waiting all week for this check to show up and i called her today right i was like hey have you sent it and she's like no did you see my picture on instagram it's of a bunny (laughs) he's like Haley, i need that check i'm stuck in colorado you don't know what it's like out here This is not Chinese camp. So where do you get your mail here? Oh, I'm just getting it sent to a friend's house and rifle. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're here for at least a few more days then. Are you really just going to split as soon as that happens? You got your project done. Yeah, I got my projects Mm -hmm. done. Well, it's kind of like I'm going to stick around here until 
the end of the month. Uh-huh. Because that seems like a good time to leave. Right. And then, um, yeah, and then go back. Because, I mean, it'll cool down in Yosemite, like, probably mid-September. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about, like, maybe I'll go to the Hulk for a couple of days. Maybe I'll, like, climb at private property a couple of days. Maybe I'll just drive to Yosemite and hike to the top of El Cap. Right. I'm w- I want to try and do the free rider this fall. <laughs> Remember when you did that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome, actually. Yeah, I yeah. can't believe you haven't done it yet. Yeah, I know. Well, I tried. I mean, two chumps from Colorado did it. I know. Just walked up and did it. Yeah. Well. Not really, actually. Don't fuck with that. It's no. going to be on the mic. I'm sitting here with uh, James Lucas again. Yeah. From episode... Do you remember what it was? Like 21, I think. Uh, I think it was episode 21. James Lucas has returned. We're actually in Carbondale this time. Last time we were in Salt Lake City in the roadway. And now we're sitting in the back of the mobile studio in my driveway, actually, in Carbondale, Colorado. It seems classier in yeah. here. It, it, I don't really, ha- I don't have a home studio anymore because of my living situation. Mm. So this parked in the driveway is now uh, the studio du jour. You do have a home studio then. What's that? This is yeah, exactly. It's the unmobile studio. And uh, anyway, James uh, has been climbing a rifle for I don't know a couple of months now, and just been hanging around. Yeah, hanging around Carbondale, making <laughs> yeah. the scene. I dug in deep. So we've been trying to do a show for a while, um, and finally we're sitting down. And I wanted to tell you that the last show that we did, which we recorded at the trade show, the summer trade show, two years ago, two summers ago, right? Mm-hmm. Or was it just last year? No, it was no, just last it was year. last year. Yeah, it was last summer. And it was the third or fourth interview that I did at that show. And after we were done, I pressed stop and and uh, and I was just like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks, James. Yeah, that was really cool. That was really fun. And like ushered you out the door. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God, that was a total waste of time. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm just going to admit that to you right now. Yeah, I was just okay. like, oh my God, whatever. So anyway, two months later, as usual, I'd run out of material. I didn't have Thank any God. show. I was like, oh man, I got James's. I will. Let me see what that's all about. And, and instantly when I started listening to it, I started cracking up. Right. So it turned out that my assessment was wrong and it actually has become something of a cult classic yeah. on the normal cast. Episode 21, James Lucas. His his fingers in all the pies, I mm-hmm. think is what I called it. Which brings us to this. You showed up here in Carbondale to um, to try to seek some vengeance. Right. At the pie baking contest at the Carbondale Mountain Fair, which we talked about in the last episode. Right. How'd that go? Well, I, like, so two years ago, I was fruit number one. Mm-hmm. I was climbing out in, in rifle, and uh, I decided to drop off a Granny Smith all butter apple pie <clears throat> uh, and I was the first entry in the fruit category. Right. I was fruit number one at the Carbondale Mountain Fair annual pie baking contest. Mm-hmm. And this is a big deal. Like, yeah. The Mountain Fair deal. is a big deal in yeah. Carbondale. Like, There's this lady like Judy Harvey and she's been doing it for 20 years. Right. And it, this lady's like pro. She makes like boysenberry pies. She makes like these white and dark chocolate mousse pies. She makes, she like makes these creams that are topped with like macadamia nut brittles. Judy's the real deal Mm -hmm. of pie baking there. And she's just one of the many grandmas that are into it. 
Right. And then, Have you uh, ever actually met this woman or seen her in person? Well, so this year I was like, I was focused on it. Uh-huh. And I did a bunch of training. I got psyched on baking pies. I read a lot more pie recipes. I got tips from like Nick Berry's mom gave me a bunch of tips about like using cold butter, shredding apples to make like the consistency better. Mm-hmm. And I tried to learn all these secrets from master pie bakers. Mm-hmm. And the Aspen Times interviewed Judy a long time ago in 2005 about her pie baking. And they talked about her dedication, how she woke up at 4 a.m. the days of the, the pie baking contest and she'd start baking and um she talked her husband roger was interviewed and uh roger talked about how they had this like did you google her is that how you found this well yeah yeah i I googled i googled pie baking and then i like researched the carmenelle pie baking contest like at one point i actually talked to this kid over at the poorhouse at the bar in downtown carbondale Mm -hmm. his mom's one of the judges and he he knew who judy harvey was he was like, I've heard of her. She's absolutely obsessed. Right. If you win, she might kill you. <laughs> <laughs> like, this lady, Judy Harvey's real deal. So um, so I was like, ah, oh, I, w- I want to, like, learn some of her secrets mm-hmm. and figure out what, how you become one of these master pie right. bakers. So I looked her up in the phone book. Okay. And it, uh, everybody's in the phone book. I mean... Or on the internet. Right. But I found her phone number and then I called her up on the 4th of July. Did you really? Yeah, you yeah. You called her on the phone. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I was like, hey, my name's James. Uh, I'm really interested in pie baking. I'm trying to write an article about climbing and rifle and pie baking. I mean, it's an article for my blog, but whatever. Uh, and she was kind of like, oh, uh, she she was like really reticent. I don't think she re- wanted to give her secrets away. Well, she was I think of, it would be a little bit surprising for a, a yeah, woman yeah. to get She's a call probably, from some guy that wants to write an article about pie baking and rock climbing. Yeah. All right. So what went down? Okay. So I call her and I'm like, hey, do you have a chance to talk? And she's like, oh, I'm actually busy right now. I'll call you back in a couple hours. And so I sat in the rifle library and I waited 30 minutes, 60 minutes, two hours, mm-hmm. three hours, four hours. Three days later, I decided to like give her a call again. Uh-huh. And, um, and I, I like punched in Judy's number and it went straight to voicemail. She was not psyched to talk to me about her really? pie baking. Yeah. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. I think she's like, I mean, the thing that I found was like, like Judy and all these people, there it's like this obsession they have, you know. Huh. Like Judy's won twenty ribbons over the past like ten years or so. She enters in, a in, pie in in the the Carbondale one. Yeah, uh huh. All at Mountain Fair. All at Mountain Fair. So Judy Harvey enters a pie into each category. She enters one into fruit. She enters one into cream. She enters one in, into exotic pies. Take around like three to four hours each to bake. Right. So. She's obviously putting a lot of time into this. She's got like a refrigerator full of trials. Um, she invites her friends over all the time to like have these tastings. <clears throat> Judy's obsessed. And 
you know, this is all conjecture, right? Well, this is actually from the Aspen Times article oh, when they interviewed okay. her. Her, oh, okay. her so, husband Roger like right. attests to this. Okay, he also complained about how many dishes he had to wash. Right, <laughs> he, he was not so psyched on that. Anyway, obviously, like Judy's obsessed, and there, there's this whole culture of people that are really into baking pies. Uh huh. For the the majority of them are. 60 year old or 65 70 year old grandmas come right. blue haired ladies sure yeah but i i was like i, w- I want to do this i want to like i want to be a contender right part of it's like i got into baking because uh a few years ago i wanted to impress this girl and uh i baked this cherry pie <clears throat> and i didn't know anything about baking pies so I made this cherry pie, and then I, like, walked over to her house, and I showed up with this cherry pie that I made, and she was really psyched. She's like, oh, cherry <laughs> cherry pie's my favorite. And then we, a few minutes later, we were, like, sitting on her stairs after eating, like, a slice of cherry pie, and she, was, she just, like, looked at me, and she said, that was the best pie ever. I want to have sex with you right now. <laughs> You made that up. No. True story. That's a true story? That's a true story. And uh, anyway, I've baked like hundreds of pies since then. (laughs) It was like first go, best go, I guess. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of theories about where fetishes come from. Uh And uh, how old were you when this happened? Uh, I I bet I was 20. Oh, you were in your 20s. It's probably too late. If something like that had happened like earlier in your life. You might now have like developed some sort of pie fetish. Yeah, and those exist. Have you looked into that? Well, there's like the American Pie movie where that kid right. sticks his dick in the pie. Right. Yeah, but yeah. no, there's like weird, crazy like pie fetishes where people like can't get off unless someone's like throwing a pie in their face. Oh yeah, true. Cool. That is also a true story. Yeah. All right, so I can see why you're into into baking pies. Right. Yeah. I mean, I kind of realized like after this incident mm-hmm. with the girl that right. like. I wasn't going to get late every time I baked a pie, but it became like, it became really cool just to do. It was like a a good rest day activity. It was good for like, everybody's psyched on pies. That's true. Yeah, that is true. Like you show up Some as, people apparently more than others. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but you show up at someone's house and you're like a traveling climber uh-huh. and you right. say, oh, hey, thanks a lot for letting me stay. Why won't I bake you a pie? Right. And people are like so psyched. Yeah. Because pies more than anything transport people to like a time and place. Like you think of uh, like pumpkin pie. Mm-hmm. Boom, you're in Thanksgiving. Right. You think of like strawberry rhubarb pie. Boom, you're at the 4th of July. You think of like some banana cream pie and you're like, oh man, I remember this horrible experience being 13. <laughs> <laughs> At my grandma's house, right. you know something like right. that. There, there, there's a stronger association than as opposed to something like brownies, right? <laughs> you know, you like big brownies. Well, and- I think it probably has to do with the fact that a pie is a fairly special occasion. Like yeah. you just said, it takes forever. Mm-hmm. You can go buy the brownie mix and whip up some brownies right. in yeah. a matter of minutes. Yeah, yeah, totally. So anyway, there's this whole culture of people that are really into baking pies, Mm -hmm. Judy Harvey being one of them. Mm -hmm. And what I found was one of the reasons why I wanted to like enter this contest was I'd finished this, uh, 
I finished a route in Yosemite this spring, and I'd, like, broken up with my girlfriend, and I was kind of, like, I I didn't really have any direction in my life. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And so I was like, oh, well, I'll go enter this contest again. You know, I didn't do that well two years ago. Maybe this time I'll do better. And I was... And, like, the pie-baking contest, like, gave me direction in my so life. So you came to Rifle to be in the pie-baking contest, and the climbing was, like, a bonus, an incidental? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. right on. Well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like everywhere I go, there has to be climbing, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's what I do all the right. time. But there's a thousand places to climb. Right. And definitely lots of places to climb in the summer. I could have gone to Squamish. Right. I could have gone wherever. I could have hung out in Tuolumne. Sure. I could have gone to the Needles. Sure. I could have gone to somewhere in the East Coast but where it rains all the time. And here there was a burning. Yeah, here there right. was like, oh, wow, I can go and do this thing and have some focus and direction in my life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that that's why I was, I was really psyched on it. But um, kind of one of the things I realized like as I started baking all these pies was that uh you know climbing and pie baking are really cool but ultimately they're pretty pointless activities (laughs) (laughs) you know like that one time Mm -hmm. the pie got me laid right and I'm sure there was like one time where I sent her out and that got me laid really no, actually, yeah, that's no, not true. Say, that's, that's not true. At that's all. super unlikely. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. There's this one time where I baked a pie and that got me laid. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's just like I'm not really sure why we like have these obsessions. Why Judy Harvey like wakes up at 4 a.m. to like bake pies, mm-hmm. but we do. So I entered this pie baking contest, and I I entered a uh, chocolate bourbon pecan. I'd made one earlier in the summer that had, like, gone over pretty well. I actually brought it to uh, the project wall, and uh, a bunch of climbers at the crag tested it, and we're pretty psyched. I, I got good reviews. Yeah, but that's not a very good uh, no, cross-section, because they're all like, oh, wow, someone brought something I can eat, yeah, and it's, you know, sort of sweet. Like, I don't know. I mean, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in retrospect, right. I should have thought about that. But I was like, oh, wow, I'm like a master baker. Everybody says it's good. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it turns out I'm no Judy Her- Harvey. Right. And uh, at the at the pie baking contest, again, got pretty shut down. So, actually, because I, I, I went and got your results for you that day. Yeah, I know. And I didn't see Judy Harvey on the exotic list. Did you actually ever find out if, if she placed? Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't really look into it. I was kind of like traumatized by the whole experience. Right. I was like really, I, I'd like actually put so much time into it this year. I think between when I left Yosemite right. and the pie baking contest at the end of, uh, the contest was at the end of July. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I left Yosemite in the middle of June, roughly. Right. So in those 40 days, I baked something like 10 or 12 bo- pies. Mm-hmm. So I was baking a pie every, like, few days. Right. And <clears throat> how, I many, was like, how many pies do you think Judy baked in that amount of time? Uh, she probably bakes more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But I, I felt like I was really training right. and put a lot of effort into it. And then the contest rolled around. And I was really nervous. And I was like, ah, ah, ah. And then I, like, gave them my my pie and then was like, I'm out of here. I can't, I can't yeah, deal right, with that. Because you had to split. You said you had to go down to Glenwood. Yeah, I had to yeah. go down to Glenwood. Me and uh, Jonathan, the Sanga, and Sam Elias sat in the uh, vapor caves there. And I just, like, decompressed. I was, like, so nervous. I'd woken up at, like, 6 a.m. that morning to, like, start baking. And it, it's not easy when you're, <laughs> Whose like... house were you baking at? Uh, over at Hayden's house. Oh, right. Actually, it's not Hayden's house. Right. It's his parents' house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, it's Julie and Michael's house, Yeah, I Julie and Michael's house. I'm pretty sure yeah. they're on the deed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, like, went over to Hayden's house and, and started baking super early that morning. All right, so let me ask you this. Okay. When you submitted the pie, mm-hmm. were you were you satisfied with what you had baked? Were you were you yeah in your heart of heart? Were you ready for the sand? Yeah, did you believe that this pie that's part of that why you I had was, risen above yourself? Yeah, that's part of why I was so nervous. I was like, I brought this pie, and I was like, this is a good recipe. I got it from Pierre McDermott. He's a uh, a sport climber out in the red. It's like a good southern recipe. Uh-huh. They call it the Kentucky Derby pie. Mm. Awesome amount of bourbon. Goes really well with the chocolate and pecans. Um, it's sweet, but not overly sweet. I really mastered an all-butter crust. And the presentation was good. And then when I entered it, I showed up around like 10.45. Uh-huh. The entries had to be in between 10.30 and 11. So I already saw a few of the other pies. And... <clears throat> In the exotic category, there was like this, there was another meat pie and someone had like woven hot dogs into the lattice. And then there was another chocolate bourbon pecan pie. There was. Well, it may have just been a pecan pie, Uh huh. but it didn't look that good next to mine. And there, there was this meringue though that looked really good. And I was like, oh. Well, I really thought it would be me versus the meringue mm-hmm. because the the hot dogs in the lattice just seemed really suspect, like the kind of thing you'd get E. coli from. But so I, that's why I was nervous. I was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a contender. And so when I get closer to actually doing something, it's like, it's like getting red point jitters, you know, being nervous that you're going to send. You ever get that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, oh, I, I got to get out of here. I got to go hang in the vapor caves. So the upshot, though, is that you didn't even place. Right. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> because I've totally uh, forgotten. Actually, uh, like. Oh, yeah, right. You forgot. Yeah. It's, burn, it's burning in your soul. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you this, then. I mean, how much of this, do you think there's, like, nepotism? Do you think there's, like. The good old girls club over there, like, you know, the judges know the contestants and they are oh, all yeah. like, yeah, yeah. So for they're sure. like, like, who's this guy, like James, whatever. And yeah, like, you know how I was talking about that, that kid whose mm-hmm. mom's been judging for a few years. Yeah. Yeah. People know who Judy yeah. Harvey is. Yeah, right. She's like, just like, oh, she's one. Who, yeah. Who's next? They're like, oh. It's it's the same thing as like voting for president. It's like, oh, who's the incumbent? Oh, mm-hmm. okay, vote for him again. It doesn't matter if it's like, you know, Ronald Reagan, they'll vote for him again. A lot of people 
wanted me to win this year. You're I got a lot right. more support this year. So yeah, so <clears throat> what was your takeaway, James? I mean, you know, are you done? Are you, is it is it broken your spirit? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I think I think like I'll just come back next summer, try harder. You think you'll be back next summer for the pie baking contest? It's like there's climbing and rifle. Mm-hmm. There is. There's like so that's a that's like a solid reason to be here. I like the people, and then it's also like oh. I can try and beat that bitch again. I wonder if she won. I wish we. I wish they had the results posted. Yeah, because I want to know if she won. I'll. I'll somehow, in a future show, mm-hmm. or if this if this doesn't come out till the uh, till the, the the results are posted, I'll put them in the intro or something. Because yeah, yeah. we got to find out about that. Yeah, yeah, it'd be yeah. good. Because they said they were going to post them right online. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What did they? Where did they say they were going to be? I don't know. Somewhere. I thought I sent you a text about that. Yeah. All right. So tell us, tell us about uh, your climbing and rifle. You've entered what we call the Bro Muta Triangle, which is not my <laughs> actually my my um, my phrase. The Bro Muta. Yeah, yeah. The the rifle uh, Black Canyon Indian Creek. Yeah. So you've entered the Bro Muta Triangle. So tell us about rifle. Now you got it. Like you're coming from sport climbing at Jailhouse in California, right? And really, there's kind of a dearth of of sport climbing in California. It's not, yeah, it's not really like the main thing out there. No, California, I'm there's sport climbing in yes. California, but all of a sudden, like, especially this summer, mm-hmm. I've realized how much sport climbing there is, like, just around the Carbondale area, right? Like, I showed up here and Rifle was on fire for a few days, right? Like, like, this big, literally, yeah, literally, not like, oh man, everybody was on fire, they were yeah. sending. No, it was literally like. On, Above rifle was yeah. was burning and the canyon was evacuated. Yeah, yeah. It, my first few days here were grim. Right. Like rifle was on fire. I got food poisoning. Like a few days before that, I decked in maple. I was just like, "Oh, this sucks." <laughs> uh, <clears throat> How so, did you deck in maple? <laughs> uh, oh, this is an awesome story because what happened? I I started to drive out. I was like, "Oh, I'll stop by Maple on my way to." rifle sure and somewhere around tonopah i was like looking at facebook and fucking around on instagram i made a wrong turn i went down to vegas i spent the night there uh and then i shot up to maple and i was all like jittery a little worn out from driving 18 hours right i get out of the car and i looked around i was like where's the pipe dream cave i hiked somewhere and I asked a bunch of climbers, and they're like, "This isn't the pipe dream cave." And they pointed me up there, and so I like hiked up there in my tank top and my shorts, and I showed up and I threw my backpack down. I found like some random guy, and I was like, "Hey, can you belay me on this warm up?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, sure." And so I pulled on my new new shoes, hopped on this route, clipped the first bolt, put my feet on, got ready to clip the second, pulled up a bunch of rope. And then slipped right off the cobble <laughs> and went 15 feet and like <clears throat> there was a tiered landing. Right. And uh, I didn't hit just the ground. I hit these boards on the tiered landing. And so I like jacked up my back and I got really bad rope burn under my armpit and on the inside of my thigh. I, this was not this guy's fault. No, no. Because you had pulled rope. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing this guy could have done. Right. Like he could have like done an Olympic sprint. 
halfway across the pipe dream cave, and I still would have decked. What? Not not this guy's stuck. fault. And so I just I'm like, oh, lying on what the ground, and then he, he's what did like, he say? oh, are you okay, man? And I was like, oh, not really. And then I eventually like get up, and he's like, do you want to keep climbing? I was like, yeah. And I sent the route. Nice, good job. Second way to, try. Way to get back at it. Uh, and then, and then I lowered, and then I coiled my rope. Mm-hmm. I and hiked out of the pipe dream cave. <laughs> oh, it was done. That was it. Yeah, I and, think he was probably glad to see you go. Yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I like drove to Salt Lake City and baked a bunch of pies. So you're on your way to Rifle, right? You so went to Vegas by accident, right? Did one pitch in Maple. I decked. Decked and then drove to Salt Lake City. Then drove to, to Salt Lake City. To recuperate and bake pies. I baked pies for a couple of days. Then I came to Rifle. Mm-hmm. And like a, the first night I was in Rifle, I got food poisoning. From who? Well, I'm not sure if it was like this bad pizza I ate or like I'd been eat, uh, taking a bunch of whey protein. And <laughs> I think I had... It was like whey protein that I had left over from Waco this winter. Right. When I was Does trying to like get bad? A, all buff. What's that? Does that shit go bad? I guess so. Huh. I don't know. But Probably the pizza. I like woke up the next morning and I was like, it was not not a good scene in the rifle bathroom. Right. And then <laughs> the and rifle then, portalette, you mean? Yeah. And then that very same day, rifle went on fire, and I was just like. God hates me. You got evacuated. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it was evacuated for five days. But the cool part was I discovered there's all this sport climbing around Rifle. We went to this place called Hogwarts. I went yep. to Thompson Creek. Uh-huh. Uh, went a couple other places. Yeah, all the local cliffs. Yeah. Yeah, that nobody knows about unless yeah. you live here. The, yeah. I mean, it was horrible, but it was just like, wow, there's tons of sport climbing. It's not this horrible. Like California at all. What's wrong with Hogwarts? Oh, Chosworth? Yeah, well, it just hasn't been climbed that much. It hasn't been climbed for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Don't be dissing our local crags. No, oh, it, it's okay. All right. So tell me about your impressions of rifle. Oh. Coming in from uh, out of state. Right. You're not all jaded. You haven't climbed everything like 42 times. You don't right. have to go back and reproject the shit you used to be able to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's really cool. Such a small area. There's a lot of climbing. And the, a lot of varied climbing. I sent two of my projects this week. One was the eighth day, and the other one was uh, Ronisbu. And the eighth day is like a hundred and fifty foot vertical technical limestone face climb. Mm-hmm. You're like crimping, grabbing some pockets, and then Ronisbu is like at the other end of the canyon, and it's really steep. Tons of knee bars. You're cutting your feet everywhere. It's just like, Rifle is such an amazing place because you have, there's two varieties of climbing. Mm-hmm. And they're incredibly close to each other. That's a pretty proud week, James. Yeah, Actually. thank you very much. Because that is, you're absolutely right. It's like super, you know, almost vertical technical climbing yeah. on eighth day, which is like one of the great routes of the world, perhaps. Yeah. And then... You go across the canyon to super upside down, double knee bar, yeah. You know, bat hang mm-hmm. resting and all that sort yeah. of stuff on, on the eight A card on the uh, ronde yeah. spew. Yeah, like, yeah. That's a pretty proud week, dude. Yeah, You're yeah. an all arounder. 
Yeah, all around climber. Yeah. All, yeah. I climb mediocre, but I can do everything mediocre. Dude, there's nothing mediocre about that. Oh, yeah. Thanks. I mean, those are both 513s. I know in some worlds that seems mediocre, but mm, you yeah. got to take that and run with it, my friend. Yeah, okay, thanks. I thought there'd be more knee bars. What, like, the double knee bar, like yeah. all that stuff wasn't enough for yeah, you well, like, on Ronda people, people say that Rifle has a lot of knee bars, but I, like my mailing address is Chinese Camp. Mm-hmm. That's where you want to send me a wedding invitation. You want to send me like a piece of junk mail. You want to send me like a bill for, I don't know, shooting your van with a BB gun. Right. And uh, you send it to Chinese Camp, which is located about like... 10 minutes away from jailhouse. And so that's where I've done most of my sport climbing. And that place is like really steepy and blocky and you don't climb there. You crawl. That place is like super knee bar intensive. Huh? There's like this reputation of rifle having all these knee bars mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I came here and I was like, Oh, maybe I need new knee pads. Uh, oh, I like don't have enough duct tape. Uh, but I got here and it was like, Really casual knee barring compared to jailhouse. Let me ask you about your season in Yosemite. Okay. Um, there's been a bunch of new routes put up, which, you know, Yosemite kind of languishes and then all of a sudden sort of some people decide to, to ride a wave and, and get some new pitches put up. And, mm-hmm. and you were involved in that this year or last year? Yeah. Within the past year, I was actually involved in uh, a couple of, like big ascents in Yosemite. Last year, I was, like, working on the free rider, and I kept wrapping down and trying the boulder problem on the free rider, like, halfway up. And I, like, looked across, and Mikey Schaefer was uh, working on a new route on Mill Cathedral. It, he went up the center of the formation, which there's this kind of thing where people show up in Yosemite, and they think all there is to climb is Elk Cap. They can't see Pat beyond that, mm-hmm. and I and one of the big things that happened this year was people started free climbing on stuff other than El Cap, right? Because for like one of the big reasons is that like El Cap has gotten like kind of tapped out. There's sure, only, yeah. There's only so many free lines that go can go up it, right? You know, it's such a big formation, and like linking these features is difficult. Sure. So, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you just think of it as like a percentage thing and like 3000 feet, you know, there, there stands to reason that two meters of it are going to be unfreeable. Right. And then you've got an eight climb, mm-hmm. which is kind of a strange like thing to think about, but yeah, you've got, you know, 30 pitches of free climbing, but one of them has two moves that you pull on a, on bolts and, and technically you've got an eight climb. Right. You know, all of a sudden you're doing some man powered rappel. You know, so, uh, yeah, I was like looking over and I saw my friend Mikey working on this route on middle cathedral and I just, I, I wasn't sending on free rider. I wasn't like sticking this boulder problem. So I went over and, uh, I, I climbed up there with him and he invested 40 days into it, just establishing the route, like going ground up. Cause you can't, you can't wrap into middle cathedral. It's like too hard logistically mm-hmm. um so he climbed it ground up established the line and then uh 
and then spent a bunch of time trying to free the route. Mm-hmm. I climbed with him for eight or nine days while he like made a, a free ascent of this mm-hmm. formation, this 200, 2000 foot line up the middle of middle cathedral. He called it father time. And, um, you climb like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe 1200 feet of low angle, the vertical five twelve. Then you get to this head wall and there's a 300 foot section of solid five thirteen climbing. It's amazing up there. It's longer than like the Zodiac or mm-hmm. Tangerine mm-hmm. Trip mm-hmm. or a lot of the right side. So routes. what kind of climbing are we talking about? I mean, are these guys willing to put bolts in finally? Yeah, yeah. Or are this they... is a, it's like technical face climbing. Right. The cruxes are mixed. Uh-huh. You're placing cams. Right. And then like some places, there is, it's just face climbing, mm-hmm. so there's no... So there's no gear. Right. And putting in bolts. So when he was up there drilling, it was on hooks or, or what yeah, have you? Yeah, he, okay. dr- he established it on aid. Okay. And it, uh, drilled off of hooks. Mm-hmm. Like put quarter inches in, would go up, make an anchor, then wrap down, replace the bolts. Right. And With three-eighths. Right. And uh, when a lot of these routes occur it's because there's a renaissance in thinking and and yosemite has never been been a place for allowing people to sort of go forward with ethics right by any means yeah and so it's like yeah okay so looking at middle cathedral you know 20 years ago it's like well there has to be crack features to connect all this stuff or we can't go up there and climb it because we can't put bolts in or we're allowed to put what one or two in yeah but not a bunch in. Yeah. And so... One of the big things that's like revolutionized free climbing in Yosemite, mini tractions, and massive amounts of static line. (laughs) How so? Well, I mean, now you can like, you can drop 1,300 feet of rope from the top of El Cap and you can go work the boulder problem on the free rider. Go to the top of El Cap, you can drop like a 600 foot stack line. That's like a normal spool. And you can go top rope. You can mini traction top rope solo the south head wall. You can go to the top of the dom wall and you can fix the entire, you can fix L cap and leave your ropes hanging there for months and just mini traction the whole thing. Uh-huh. And, uh, people don't like hassle you at all. Right. There. I mean, your ropes shouldn't be in the way. Like on routes like the south A and free rider, it's not, it's bad form to have your ropes hanging up there. Mm-hmm. But when has that ever stopped anybody? <laughs> it, it's like, yeah, I it, it's pretty poor form to leave ropes hanging. I right think. on something like the South thing. Yeah, on something yeah. like the South thing. But like uh, the profit, the profit's been freed a couple times now. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Leo and Jason Pickles did it a few years ago, and then the subsequent ascents, everybody's. Fix the entire route, and mm-hmm. then they just mini traction it, and you work the route on top rope, mm-hmm. and then you essentially head point these big walls. Sure, and uh, I mean that's that's like what Mikey did on uh, Middle Cathedral. He established the route as an aid climb, and then he had two thousand ro- feet of rope fixed, and then he'd go like climb on the bottom, get dialed. And then there's a few days where he just jumarred up to the middle 
and he'd work those 513 pitches and then come down. Right. And it's like you're cragging. Right. Like ultimate Yosemite cragging. Well, it's interesting that you actually bring that up because I think there's been this disconnect between what we sort of think about is going on on these first ascents and what is sort of really going on on them. Right. Because not that anybody's like hiding the truth, but when a little blurb gets sort of published somewhere about an ascent, it's like... You you just uh, anybody who's in climbing and myself included, even though I I actually know what really goes on. Yeah, my my brain first just thinks about you know two guys tying in at the base. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and starting to climb together. You know, yeah. and it's like even even the even the one day ascents, they're not really ever one day ascents because they're they like, spend a couple of days putting water and stuff up there. Yeah, you stash right. water. Right, you stash gear. Absolutely. You work into submission over 20 days. Yeah. And then you do it in one. Yeah, but I mean, it's like even without the working in the submission, I'm like, yeah. well, what about the day before where you wrap down and put water up there? Right. Like in, you know, in the sort of the old school idea of climbing, that counts as, as having been on the route, so to speak. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just, I mean, I've known all this stuff goes on and it's not necessarily to detract from what anybody does, but, mm-hmm. but I think we still have this kind of archetype of like the two people tying in together and leaving the ground, swapping pitches maybe or whatever, and then topping out and high-fiving and calling it good. But I mean, modern climbing is like, there's so much going on with getting these things done. Yeah. Yosemite's become like just a really involved sport crag. (laughs) 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 We're like, Yeah. Hanging the draws involves like stashing water, right? A few days before, sure, or like going top down on a lot of stuff. So uh, another route that was established this spring was uh, uh, Nick Barry and I uh, put up this route on on Fifi Buttress, which is located across from Leaning Tower over by Browvale Falls. Mm-hmm. It's a nine hundred foot formation. There's this guy who had aided up the route in the fall and I jumarred up in and checked it out. It was like, Oh, this thing will go. It'll just be hard. And then I came back this spring and Nick was keen to like go check it out. And the lines were still up there. The aid climber had made, made it almost to the top. He was taking his time. And so <laughs> we actually had like fixed lines all the way up it. And the, Pretty much from day one, we we just started main trashing the route, mm-hmm. and we like uh, we helped him like fix lines for the last like hundred feet or so, and uh, we like worked the route. We put in bolts, and we essentially like head pointed it, which was kind of a cool experience. What did that turn out as? Uh, so it's the final frontier, and it's like thirteen B. Oh, right on. There's like a, it's a few pitches of 5.11, then a a 12D pitch, a 13A, like, bolted pitch that connects, it's face climbing, that Uh connects uh, two crack systems, then the next crack system's got a, it's like 13B, and then there's a 12 plus pitch, then there's some more 5.11 to the top, so, it's good, it's hard, like, Nick red pointed at first and I like followed him and just supported him. 
And then uh, I went back and uh, red pointed it, leading every pitch. And my friend Katie Lambert uh, followed me up it. So that seems like the, I mean, you guys call it the final frontier, but that seems to be sort of the frontier there. I mean, I've all, I mean, I always thought about that too, because I was obsessed with El Cap, you know, and climbing these walls, but there's just so much rock in between yeah. that appears to be basically untouched. Yeah. It's like amazing. Then the, another big route that got established this year was, uh, Lucha Rivera and, uh, Sierra Wright put up a, a route on Liberty Cap and, uh, Lucha, I'd like scope this line out and, uh, and then he he convinced her to go up there with him, and they they fixed ropes up it. it I think they had like a thousand feet of rope through all the hard climbing, and they worked it out on mini traction for a while, top rope it, cleaned it, and then they uh, they eventually they freed it, <clears throat> and it's supposed to be like a I haven't been on it, but supposed to be a bunch of really good long crack systems and cedar called that borderline 513 which means i think lucho called it 12b Uh. (laughs) (laughs) right on jake whitaker and sean leary have both been establishing uh routes on mount watkins 513 free routes they go up the full formation jake's been Freeing the Bob Lock Memorial Buttress. Stanley's been doing, uh, Sean Leary has been doing some variation like around the, the South Face. Mm-hmm. So there's been all this like new free climbing in Yosemite that's not on El Cap. Right. And it's really, it's pretty exciting because people are starting to like climb on new terrain, check out like new features. Mm-hmm. Like Liberty Cap is really crack intensive, um, like big thuggy cracks. Uh, the Final Frontier on Fifi Buttress is like really technical face climbing and thin crack climbing. Mm-hmm. Mikey's route is like a long section of like technical climbing to like some steep technical climbing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same with uh, Watkins. It's like a lot of really hard slab climbing. Right. It's not just like El Cap, like grabbing a bunch of pin scars. Right. Yeah, I mean, because the truth is, is a lot of those routes on El Cap go free because they've been pounded out. Right, yeah. Most of them, yeah. actually. They've yeah. been pounded out with pitons, and that's your that's your handholds. Mm-hmm. So if you guys are going and finding rock that, you know, maybe it's been aided the one time to get the ropes up there, you know, right. it's probably a much more interesting and sort of more natural experience yeah. than climbing on El Cap. Yeah. The other thing about Yosemite that's always confounded me is that, you know, the truth be told, once you get off El Cap, there hasn't been that much hard climbing there. You know, they're, they're yeah. like, it just, you know, there's a smattering of 513s and, you know, like the meltdown and the, there's a few 514s, the yeah, magic, magic line, line and stuff yeah. like that. But, you know, it's like, it's like, there was some barrier that, and I think again with Yosemite, there's there's so much ethical mental baggage from the mm-hmm. past there to stop people from advancing kind of to the new ideas. I mean, it, I think yeah. it's always been just really like, you know, just this kind of stick in the mud scene there mm-hmm. that it takes some like kicking open of the door, but it's a door that got kicked open elsewhere, like 
you know, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this previewing routes, you know, aiding up and then replacing bolts and all these sorts of new tactics, I mean, could open up. Yeah. I mean, everything. Yeah. You Uh know, like I've always talked about there's a route in, in the Black Canyon called Tag Your Time that's got, you know, depending on who you ask, like five or six pitches of 512 on it in 13 or 14 pitches mm-hmm. and i've always maintained i'm like there's it's there's nothing that sustained in yosemite you know there is now but right. for a long time it was like yeah well which route you know yeah there's a 512 pitch up on crucifix okay you're right you One got something pitch. that's got like six pitches in a row of 512 or harder it's yeah. like off of el cap there really wasn't that much and even free rider you know it's like yeah. there's a couple pitches of 512 on that thing there, you know? yeah i think there's four right and so it's like, I mean, El Cap's been amazing in, in the free climbing up there, but certainly, you know, you just look around and you're, you're like, I mean, even looking at sort of guidebooks, you're like, well, what about that wall over there? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And maybe there's some A2 route, route up it that no one's ever looked at again. Yeah. You know? So it seems like, yeah, it could just go off. Yeah. You know, sort of quietly just like pecking away at some of these, what, seven to 15 pitch routes on on these sort of smaller things or even yeah. up to what like 20 pitches how how many pitches is father time about 20 yeah yeah so i mean it's a humongous yeah. route yeah the route's huge yeah totally. like anywhere else yeah people be, would be like oh my god right this thing's enormous but in yosemite because it's right across from el cap they're like oh whatever yeah. it's 22 pitches is a lot of pitches yeah so. yeah Mm-hmm. And so eventually, are these guys generally like finally doing a, a what we were just talking about a tie-in? Yeah, and climb from the bottom to the top ascent. That's free how ascent? you're red pointing routes. Okay, mm-hmm. so it doesn't count, quote unquote, that if you've red pointed all the pitches. No, and people don't consider that done. No, I mean, so you know, it's they're maintaining some some old school ethical standard, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, the red point's like from the ground, red pointing every pitch mm-hmm. from the belay. Right, as long as in maybe trying them a couple times. Yeah, but as long yeah. as you as long mm-hmm. as you climb them from the belay. Yeah, right on. Well, that's that's totally awesome. So we can't uh, let you go though, James, without uh, talking about this lightning bolt kerfuffle. Oh yeah. Um, Speaking of people in Yosemite who yeah. are stuck in their ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's this boulder problem in Yosemite on Columbia. Which is right in the middle of Camp 4. It's in the middle of Camp 4. And in, let's see, uh, in 1978, Ron Kauk makes the first ascent of this boulder problem that John Yablonowski had seen. He was, he'd been like tripping on acid. And Yabo was like, oh, check out this line, bro. He showed it to Backer and Kauk. And uh, they're like, uh, they didn't think it would go. Uh, Backer said it was Yabo who actually found Midnight Lightning. He was sitting in front of it one day and came over to me and Ron Kauk and said he found a new boulder problem. He said it would go. We laughed and said it was impossible. We thought there was as, about as much chance of doing it as there was the chance that a lightning bolt could struck, strike at midnight, like in the Hendrix song, Midnight Lightning. So... John drew a bolt on it in chalk. And then... Um, so the bolt was there before the route had been done? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So there's like this original bolt. is like the Stonemaster bolt. The, like, 
John and Ron Kauk and Yabo. Well, I think it was all, mostly John and this guy, uh, Will Graham. They're, they're really into drawing these bolts. They're like 18 year old kids. Mm-hmm. And that was their favorite, like, graffiti thing to do. Right. It's like the bolt between the AC and yeah. the DC. I think John at one time pierced his ear when mm-hmm. he was in Colorado with a lightning bolt. Okay. You know, they, they were into it. It was just like what they did. They drew him everywhere. And so they drew this bowl, and then Ron did it, and then eventually John did it. A bunch of other people did it, and the bolt, like, stayed on the rock. Nobody er- erased it. It was just like, oh, there it is on the rock. <laughs> and so I, this spring I was like, uh, I'd like been, I've been in Yosemite a lot for the past 12 or 13 years. I've spent, you know, anywhere from like six to eight months there a year. And, uh, I've always walked by that boulder and been like, what's that, what's that boat still doing there? Huh? And like sometimes during storms it gets really worked and looks all gnarly because right. nobody really takes care of it in this spring i was like you know i should just fucking i should like erase that thing like (laughs) yeah i I wonder what the i wonder what like the rock will look like without the bolt on it right and so a lot of people like talk about these things and they're like oh yeah i'm gonna chop the bolts on like in Rifle, they're like, I'm going to chop the bolts on the beast, so you have to do the extension, right. beast with two backs. Or I'm going to chop the bolts on the compressor route. <laughs> he actually <laughs> or, did do that. Though. Yeah, but something, somebody did do What's that. What's the big one in uh, Yosemite? I remember back in the day was the, was Cookie Monster. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that was controversial. Right. They, they bolted this crack line. Right. And it's like everybody wants to talk about it, but then nobody actually does anything. And I was like, well, you know, I feel strongly about it. It's not a big deal. It's chalk on the rock. Mm -hmm. So I went out there one night after, like, I went to this party at uh, Rick Cashner's house on Easter. It's like the kind of inaugural Yosemite thing. And uh, I I just started, like, er erasing the lightning bolt. I, like, brushed a little bit off, and then I was like, oh, well, I brushed it a little bit. Now I have to like actually like finish it. Mm-hmm. So I brushed the whole thing. And the, um, the thing that was hard was that there was a lot of chalk on it. And so I didn't realize that I needed water at first. And I, I looked around and there was somebody sleeping right under Columbia right there. And I like walked over and I, he had a little water bottle. I stole his water bottle and like <laughs> started splashing the rock with it. Erasing the lightning bolt. And then I was like, oh, okay, that's a pretty good job. And I, like, brought it back. And the guy looked up at me because my headlamp was on. Right. And he's like, oh, erasing the lightning bolt, man. I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you shitting me? No. No, he was there. And then, uh, I mean, it wasn't like. I Do you know who it was? No, it was, was some he gone? dude, some dirtbag sleeping under Columbia. Um, he knew what you were doing. Yeah. And it, I mean, it wasn't like, it was about nine o'clock. Sure. You know? It, now, has, had that thing been there, honestly, like continuously? Uh, no. Okay. 
It's actually come off a few times. Right. That's uh, what I thought, too. I'm like, well, it probably was gone and came back. Cause, yeah. Because I don't remember it being so enormous. Yeah. So, actually. And I remember seeing something there years ago, but then I also kind of thought that maybe I remember there not being anything. Right. But I definitely, it was not as enormous as, right. as what gotten, I've seen the pictures of. It's gotten bigger, okay. and uh, people have added lines to the uh, bolt. Right, like the like, the little the little star shapes weren't there yeah, the whole time the, those at the are, each end. Those aren't original. If you uh, look at the okay. pictures of like Ron and John right. doing it, it was the, just like a little little lightning bolt. Yeah, yeah, because uh-huh. it's an, it was enormous. Yeah, it got big, and then um, so I erased it that first night, and then I went back the next morning just to check it out, and I was like, ooh, there's like chalk everywhere still. I hadn't like erased it well enough, so. I went back the second night. Um, I like, I climbed all that day. I was like, oh, well, I don't have time to do it now because I'm going climbing. And then I like, I was staying at a friend's house in the village. Mm-hmm. And so I did like take the dog out for a walk. So I walked the dog over to Camp 4 and then hung out like, you know, bright headlamp shining on Columbia. And it was around 8 o'clock and uh-huh. people were walking around. Uh, yeah, a bunch of people walked by me while I was like standing there, like <laughs> meticulously erasing this lightning bolt. I was just like, well, at that point, it wasn't even a lightning bolt; it was just a bunch of chalk, right? Like a chalk splotch. Yeah, yeah it was a chalk was splotch. So I finished erasing it, and the, um, I was like, oh, cool, it's gone. I wonder how long it'll last. And uh, it stayed like that for about two weeks or so. And I told a few people, I was like, oh, yeah, I erased the bowl off of Midnight Lightning. And people were like, huh, huh, why'd you do that? And I was like, well, just kind of want to see what the boulder looked like. And it was just like this unnatural thing. Like, it's graffiti on right. the wall. Where, where's the access fun with Leave No Trace? And so it was gone for two weeks, and then somebody drew it back on, uh, which is good because... The entire time it was gone, there's all these boulders walking around Camp 4 looking for Midnight Lightning, but they couldn't find the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, it, w- it went back up and whatever, not a big deal. But then I think like a week later, I wrote about it on my blog. Okay. And what I've noticed is like, People in real, like, when you actually talk to people, most people don't really care about what you do. They might say, oh, hmm. Right, well, they don't really, they, they may care, but they're not going to say anything to your face yeah, is what the difference yeah, is. It, yeah, like. They're going to wait till they get home. Yeah, they're going to wait yeah. till they get home and they get on the internet. Sure. Yeah, Before no, no. the internet, like, uh-huh. they had to have conversations. Sure, sure. They had to, like, stand and they had to, like. You know, punch each other in the neck. Well, no, I mean, I've come the other direction to where I've sat and had civil conversations with people who I know had slagged me off. Yeah. You know, and so I had to decide whether or not I was going to call them out. Right. Or not. Mm-hmm. But they were fine. They weren't going to, like, bring up their issue with me face to face, even though, you know, they'd spent whatever, how many hours on Mountain Project or whatever. Right. You know, so it's like, yeah. It's a totally different world. Yeah. So anyway, so I wrote about it on my blog, and then people got fired up. <laughs> <laughs> people from from elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, nobody said anything while the bolt was actually gone. Mm-hmm. 
nobody said anything like, oh, look, the bolt came back. There wasn't like some big uproar. It was actually when I told people. That's when that's when people got mad. Then people were like, hey, I'm going to slash your tires. Oh, I'm going to knock your teeth in. Oh, <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. They were like, oh, my God, Harry Potter would be so disappointed with you. <laughs> now, that's a good one. Yeah, that one was pretty good. I mean, it, it was, it, yeah, it was pretty, pretty funny. And then people I like, I mean, people weighed in. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like Dean Feilman, he's classic Yosemite. Dude, he was one of the original stone masters. And he's kind of like one of the remaining, uh, monkeys that hangs out. He's like mm-hmm. lifestyle climber. He's hanging tough. And, he, uh, he said, uh, let's see. He he was there when Backer did it, and he said Backer did it as both an inspiration and a slap in the face. It was Backer's way of saying that this is the future of climbing, and and in case you can't see it, here it is. He went on to say climbing went the opposite way that John wanted it to go. He gave everything he had to try and keep the sport pure. James is a part of the now, and he wanted to make a statement and give us all a slap in the face. Armed with his toothbrush and an iPhone, under the cover of darkness, <laughs> James did so. Uh, <laughs> Dean goes on to say, I grew up with John Backer, started climbing with John Backer, and documented much of John Backer's career. And I can tell you that James is no John Backer. <laughs> but I do know that James <laughs> respects who John was and what he means to climbing. <laughs> Nice, and yeah. he's, he's your bro, right? Oh yeah, 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 uh-huh. yeah. Dean, Dean emailed me that he's like, "Dude, I totally slandered you. I'm so excited." <laughs> and then he like showed it to me as, as soon as he like he Rock and Ice wrote this blog about it. Right, he showed up on all these blogs. Mm-hmm. And my it, intern did that actually. Yeah, and Chris Parker. Did that. Yeah. 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 Oh, that reminds me. I need to punch him in the face. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I can tell you where he lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's j- ultimately it's like chalk on the wall. Sure. And it's back. Yeah. And yeah. it's back. Like it was it was back before before anybody like knew that it was gone. Right. Well, it's the I mean, the truth is, is maybe it's not climbing media isn't as susceptible as other types of media mm-hmm. but they are susceptible to the 24-hour news cycle yeah you know especially with their with their internet stuff right and so it's like you know they occasionally have to make a you know a tempest in a teapot and i yeah. think that was totally the case with your your amazing lightning bolt now tell me about your saturn anyway so well one of the interesting things was as i was driving through to salt lake uh I was hanging out with Nick Barry, who I did the Final Frontier with, and he, we went out to this barbecue, and all of a sudden Nick was like, "Oh, I gotta go get some beer and smokes," and uh, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, cool." He leaves for like half an hour, shows back up, and uh, we keep like, you know, eating a bunch of meat and drinking beers. And we go, and he drops me off at my car. I walk by, and all of a sudden I turn and look. And there's lightning bolts all over my car. There's one on the hood. There's one on the driver's side. There's one on the passenger's side. 
I was like, oh my god. And it, I thought he like spray painted these things on, but apparently they're uh, another sport climber, John Starr, had like made these four foot decals and put them all over my lightning bolt. Uh, these lightning bolts all over my uh, my Saturn station wagon, like the exact one that's like on Columbia. And so, right now there's a there's a four foot lightning bolt on the hood of my car. Nice. I'm looking for uh, a a housemate right now. I have this wonderful accommodation. I'm trying to uh, split my uh, Saturn station wagon with uh, some other housemate, preferably like someone who's neat, you know, willing to go stay in all these rad climbing places. There'd be like space for storage in the glove box, although like the registration and the owner's manual have, has to be there. Mm-hmm. But they could totally like keep all their clothes next to the spare tire. Sure. It'd be under two hundred bucks a month. They need to be under five six and preferably female. <laughs> uh, have you have you got this ad actually out there? Yeah, uh, I put it in Craigslist mm-hmm. uh, like for the Boulder's Craigslist, mm-hmm. and so far I've gotten. I think there's actually eight responses right now. Uh, seven female and one dude. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Nice. Any yeah, yeah. It's good. Positive responses or? Yeah, I mean, one was this. Uh, 27-year-old freelance journalist from Hawaii who, like, sound, she's probably the best candidate so far. Nice. Uh, she didn't tell me her height, but, I mean, she's probably not that tall. The thing I'm worried about is that she wants to, like, split a cable bill. She really likes watching True Blood, which is on <laughs> HBO. And so I, I think that might get a little expensive in the Saturn. She sounds like the kind of girl who, like, once the windows rolled down have you seen, all the time. Have you seen uh, True Blood? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty sexy. Yeah, you yeah, it's wanna, good. I yeah, mean, that, there's definitely be the worse, end of the world. Yeah, there's worse shows to watch. It could, it could get exciting back there. And, uh, I mean, I think she, she might have fish, which are okay as pets. I mean, Oh, oh I thought you meant the band. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> that'd, be a, that'd be a deal breaker. Yeah, that'd be a deal breaker. I mean, fish in the car I'm okay right, with. Right. A cat, a hamster, right. a dog. Nah, not going to work so out. Yeah. So. Right, so how can people get in touch with you if they want to get this uh, get this space? Well, they can go to the posting on Craigslist. I don't uh-huh. want to give out my email address. It's not on your blog? Uh, no, I'll put it there. <laughs> It'll be not right in your email address. Yeah. It what? can't be that hard to find your email address, no, James Lucas. No, it's not. It's uh, james.clayton.lucas at gmail.com. <laughs> there you go. That's my name. Yep. And uh, your blog is what, again? Oh, uh, it's jamesclucas.blogspot.com. Okay. Yeah. And it's not the life of the walking monkey? That's the title of it. Oh. But the URL is my name. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll link to that again on the website. Thanks for coming out, James, yeah. and sitting Thank in you. the mobile studio. And uh, I guess we'll just do this again next summer when you yeah. come back for the pie baking contest. Revenge. All right, folks. Thanks for listening to uh, me and James Lucas ramble on and on and on. But before we go, I'd like to clear up a couple things about the pie baking contest first of all looking at the results which are online and if you're interested i'll post them at normalcast.com judy harvey actually either didn't enter 
the contest this year, which is what I'm suspecting. Perhaps she's moved on. Or perhaps some tragedy has struck. Let's hope not. Because either that or she didn't place in a single category, which is really hard to believe. So I think maybe Judy just had better things to do this year than dominate the pie contest. However, there is a new name on the scene, someone for James to uh, post up against next year. A certain Val Gonzalez, who took first in James's exotic category, but she also took best in show with that same key lime chocolate pie. So let me just put that out there, Val. James Lucas is coming for you. He's training. He's going to be stronger, faster, and more flaky next year. All right, that's it for episode 47. See you in December for the two-year anniversary. And as you get out there climbing to work off all that food, don't forget to check your knot.